The only way I could see a Mike Hoffman trade making sense would be if Robbie Fabry and an envelope that says first round pick is getting off a plane in Ottawa and shaking hands with Pierre Dorian and then Pierre Dorian's phone rings and it's Doug Armstrong and he says, why did you send me a pine box that says Pierre on it? And he says, no, I agreed we'd trade you my coffin. That's that a, that's is a, that's a very stupid the worst joke. thing that's ever been said on this podcast. <laughs> Pierre Dorian executes a classic verbal sweat of hand. <laughs> oh, and Doug Armstrong hangs up the phone. He's like, what can I do? He got me. Credit where it's due. Yep. United in red. Remember Todd White. Where did Eric Carlson eat? last night It doesn't matter if you ask It's the Chet and Luke Podcast Good day, ladies and gentlemen and welcome to episode 4 Menton of the Chet Sellers and Luke Peristi Podcast. I'm Luke and I'm joined, as always, by the man who is not reading from a prepared statement written by his PR firm. It's Chet Sellers. <laughs> How you doing, man? Pleasure to be here. Love the you show. You know what? I am... I've, I've been better. Have How you, you been feeling be- with the show these days? Let me ask you that. <laughs> I still love the show. Even if I don't love everything else that, that we talk about on the show, I love the show. That will never change. That's really good to hear. Here's, here's, how, tell you. here's how it goes. Here's how it goes for me. It goes show, <laughs> then team, then you, then everybody else. Um, you know what? Happy to be third. There you go. You're beating a the field. A, a gentleman's bronze in the ranking. <laughs> uh, so how you been? Not great. I think I have the flu. I think I'm sick of losing. And also, I actually do have the flu. Uh, but I was. we were talking during the week. I think I figured out what actually went wrong with this season. It's not Craig Anderson. It's not PDO. It is the loss of a very important totem in the uh, world of the Ottawa Senators. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is it Andrew Hammond? (laughs) It could be Andrew Hammond, but no. One thing I noticed is that the Robillard hearing clinic commercials that they run during local games no longer feature a certain Jay Robillard. Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? I have received multiple DMs asking me, yo, where is... Miss Julia Robillard, why isn't she on my television to promote her hearing clinic? People are aware of this story and they're hot about it. Yeah. Like, do you think she has traded up for a team that, you know, needs or deserves her more? Like, is she somewhere helping the Minnesota Vikings make it to the NFC championship game? Like, (laughs) what is going on? I feel abandoned and lost. And the thing is, is that whoever they have doing it now, it's I I, I don't know his name and I don't care to know his name. (laughs) Um, He's just not going to receive the same amount of love and respect from the community just because of who he's replacing. You know, this is the... You know, Daniel Alfredson has left, and now they're trying to bring in Bobby Ryan, and we've fallen for this before, and it's not going to happen again. Yeah, and in a in a season full of bad omens, from you know the trade of uh, good luck charm Andrew Hammond to the mysterious retirement under mysterious circumstances of Clark MacArthur to the departure of Daniel Alfredson for reasons that no one's talking about. In spite of all of those bad omens, I would argue that this is actually the worst of all. This is the one where I didn't think the season was over. I thought that they could get 80 points in 40 games. And now I'm not so sure because Julia Robillard is left. There's like a famous description of, you know, the definition of history, which is that it's just one thing after another, isn't it? 
And that really is this senator season. It's just nonstop bad news. But, you know, at least the team is no fun to watch. <laughs> is this, thinking back, is this the um, least fun season? I don't want to say in the history of the franchise, but certainly in the last several years. I think so, because even in, like, the like late period McLean years, I kind of remember, you know, the team, you know, having some late comebacks or some late collapses or they goals would happen and they would kind of like give you this hope. And at the very end of the game, you'd say, well, at least that was somewhat entertaining. I can't remember the last time I've seen I've seen a senator's team that looks more just out of it spiritually. Yeah, they they don't care anymore. And you can tell watching them. Yeah, like even those sort of post cup run kind of hangover years still featured, you know, making the playoffs and losing to the Penguins more often than not, you know, and you could still say, well, we've still got our captain Daniel Alfredson and we've got this hotshot kid Carlson on the way and, you know, we'll sell off a bunch of veterans and fire Corey Clouston and things are looking up, you know, even then you could sort of spin that kind of narrative. And right now I'm just sort of looking at it and I was like, like, well, Alfredson's gone. Carlson, uh, I think you put it well when you said, bring me my tugging collar. <laughs> uh, you know, and we've got Thomas Shabbat, who I guess is is something to look forward to. But it doesn't uh, it doesn't look particularly promising right now. And I can't even think of a single like unambiguously enjoyable moment from this season that started with the mysterious disappearance of Clark MacArthur, because even the Matt Duchesne trade, which we all pined for 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 months featured the departure of fan favorite Kyle Turris. It's not like we got Matt Duchesne for Cody Cece, which would just be Pierre Dorian slam dunking on the world. It was, well, we had to lose our special little guy, Kyle Turris. So it uh, it's bittersweet that way. I can't even think of a single like highlight reel goal from this season. Can you? I mean, I think the last good thing that happened this season was when Ottawa beat the Leafs in Toronto. And we don't even have that anymore because, unfortunately, Toronto won the most recent game in <laughs> Ottawa. So I think I think Ottawa beating Toronto twice that will be our Stanley Cup this year. So I was at We're that game. Enjoy that. I was at that Leafs game that they lost four three last weekend, yeah. it, blowing the three one lead in the third period. They they blew the three one lead, but but let me tell you, it was actually significantly less rowdy and kind of tense and aggressive than the Sens Leafs game in Ottawa like earlier in the year in October which I think the Sens won six to four and the reason for that was that the building was like 75 80 percent Leafs fans as opposed to the more traditional 50 50 60 40 split uh, where everybody gets drunk and fights uh, there were mm-hmm. enough Leafs fans there that those Sens fans that had not yet sold their tickets because they knew that they could probably do so at a profit given that the Sens are terrible and the Leafs are looking pretty decent, new to kind of keep their mouths shut. So it was really just like going to a game in Toronto, which is to say relatively quiet. I really still did want the Senators to win that game. Here's the thing. I'm really bad at tanking. I'm finding that no matter how much I know cognitively that losing is good for the draft pick, I still can't bring myself to be happy about it. And I feel like some of that has to do with the fact that I'm not sure if uh, losing is going to be good for keeping Eric Carlson around. I feel like at this point, you know, Guy Boucher and the coaching staff just have to stop trying to win and just start trying to make it fun. 
and they have to just like you know lose some games five four instead of losing some games five nothing. <laughs> yeah, the worst case scenario for tanking is the Sens win the lottery. They draft Rasmus Dahlin, who is ready to play in the NHL pretty much right away. And he comes to Ottawa, and Dolan played for, for Lunda, right? And he comes to Ottawa, and he says, Mr. Carlson, you were my hero growing up. I've modeled my game on you, and I can't wait to you know play on the same team with you and learn from you. And Eric Carlson says, you know what? Here are the keys. <laughs> I, <laughs> I got to go. Good luck with that, kid. Yeah, exactly. You're 18, right? Good, you can handle it. Exactly. If you're looking for something good to think about, I would say imagine Daniel Alfredson whispering in Eric Carlson's ears saying, don't worry about it. I'm going to be part of ownership at 18 months. You yeah. can resign here. <laughs> That's the kind of fanfic that I like. Daniel Alfredson is a part like Jay-Z style 0.1% owner of the Ottawa Senators. And he's the one that's going to keep Eric Carlson in the fold. That's what I would like to believe that they will start by changing the owner. Uh, the new owners will fire the GM and probably the coach. Eric Carlson will sign a max deal uh, and along with Rasmus Dahlin will lead us into the promised land in, in two or three years. See, there you go. We just have to get through these trials to get to uh, get to the good stuff yes, of uh, new ownership, winning the draft lottery, many Stanley Cups, Eric Carlson being a senator forever. I guess that's it. Like, really, it's just making it through this slog. Well, I mean, I do think they're in a decent position in that they still have a solid core. They have the opportunity to potentially draft a blue chip player this year. And if they can kind of trim the fat in a smart way, um, which I have no hope that they're going to actually do, I think they could set themselves up decently for next year. The problem that I have is that the last time we did this in 2011, I don't remember ever being worried about the senators trading somebody that was actually good on a decent contract like they might do now with Mike Hoffman. Like outside of... I think Alfredson, Spezza, and Carlson, like everybody was on the block in 2011 as well they should have been. Whereas now it's sort of like there's actually a decent enough core here that you don't want to mess with. But if they do need to cut salary, like they're going to trade players that they should probably be keeping. I don't know. It's at the point where now we've been talking about the Mike Hoffman trade for so long that I'm like nearly talking myself into it. Not in a serious way, but like in a finding things interesting way. I find it interesting that, you know, we're now on like our third straight coach that doesn't necessarily always see eye to eye with Mike Hoffman. I, um, I get the sense that whether it's fair or not, if Mike Hoffman is traded, he's going to be one of those players that all of a sudden there just happens to be stories put out there about, oh, yeah, this guy had to go. And you can probably tell those kinds of stories about, you know, most players. But I, I just get the sense that I can totally see the post-trade smear campaign happening with Mike Hoffman. Like, oh, yeah, you know, this guy, he uh, he was kind of a problem in the locker room kind of thing. That's that's the way they, they will probably try to spin that one. But I went back today and I looked at the 2011 sell-off when they got rid of a bunch of players that they didn't really need, like... Alex Kovalev and Yarko Rutu and Chris Campoli, along with players that had kind of been part of the core, but sort of were kind of luxury pieces at where they were, where the Senators were in kind of the life cycle, like Chris Kelly and Mike Fisher, mm -hmm. which is sort of how I see like a guy like Zach Smith now. Like, oh, for sure. You know, trading Zach Smith now makes as much sense as trading Mike Fisher did back then. But I was looking at what the Senators got for that stuff. And the weird thing about it is that the players that they actually got 
got a decent return for, like Mike Fisher. They really, who they got, a, I think, a first round and a third or something like that. They really didn't get much out of those picks. Like they got Stefan Nason for Mike Fisher and they got Shane Prince for Chris Kelly. And I think even the second for Chris Campoli got traded to Detroit so that the Senators could draft Matt Pumple. The only two trades that worked out were the ones where they traded guys that were really not worth hardly anything. And do you know which two trades those are? Uh, please tell me. Okay, well, one obviously is Brian Elliott for Craig Anderson, right? Which turned, <laughs> which yeah. it basically obviated the need for a rebuild over the next six years because <laughs> Craig Anderson basically played them a out of lottery position and then b out of the you know bottom of the Eastern Conference for the next six years. And the other one was the Alex Kovalev deal, that they got a conditional sixth or seventh, I can't remember. And even though all those high draft picks that they got as part of that sell-off didn't really work out, you know who they got for Alex Kovalev with that sixth or seventh round pick? My guess is that it was uh, Ryan Zingle. You are correct, sir. Alex Kovalev, the gift that keeps on giving. I still look back at that and I, I'm like, I can't believe that we went from giving Alex Kovalev $5.5 million a year to basically saying to Daniel Alfredson, yeah, you don't need that much money in like the span of three years. Things got grim fast <laughs> uh, for the Ottawa Senators in the early 2010s. Here's my point. If... We take that as instructive and we say, you know what, you can trade off guys like Zach Smith and J.G. Peugeot and get some, you know, decent first, second, third round picks. Those are no guarantee they're going to necessarily turn into anything. What you want to do is trade the Burroughs and Oduyas of the world for sixths, for sevenths. Don't trade Mike Hoffman for a first because that first isn't necessarily going to turn into anything. But if you just get a bunch of, you know, low round picks, who knows? Maybe you'll get the next Ryan Dezingle. So get rid of those guys, Pierre Dorian, and keep Mike Hoffman. I like in uh, 2011, the Senators traded Chris Campoli to the Blackhawks, and then the Blackhawks were rewarded by uh, Chris Campoli making the game-losing giveaway in Game 7 against the uh, Vancouver Canucks. That's correct. A goal scored by Alex Burroughs as well, might I add. So, you know, everything has come full circle here. Alexander Burroughs still has fewer points than Chris Weidman, and Chris Weidman hasn't played since God was a boy. Yeah. Thomas Shabbat's only one point back of Cody Cece. Did you see the Pierre Lebrun piece in The Athletic about how a team is going to have to overpay for Cody Cece? And I can't even imagine at this point what overpaying would look like because the team needs a backup plan in case Carlson leaves. If you want to talk about a backup plan in case Carlson leaves, I disagree with that. Because if you're Pierre Dorian and you know Eric Carlson wants to win... The best way to convince Eric Carlson that you're serious about winning is to not seriously entertain the possibility of not re-signing Eric Carlson. I, I agree with that. Does that make sense? Like, <laughs> even if you're not sure, deep down inside, you're like, this guy might leave, you can't let that get out. You have to be like, oh, no, no, we're, we're signing Carlson. You have to project that confidence. Yeah, so, first of all, this, this idea that, like, speaking publicly or even at all about a backup plan, there is no backup plan. There's only plan A, and plan A is Eric Carlson. No, that's absolutely right. And and that sort of saying, well, you know, Cody Cece is the next best thing to Eric Carlson uh, if we lose Eric Carlson, is sort of like saying, like, if I had, like, a filet mignon, right, that I was cooking for dinner, and I said, well, you know, obviously my first choice is to is to have this, this filet mignon, but in the event I burn it, I've got some slightly expired mayonnaise in the fridge, and, you know, I have to 
keep my options open. I would imagine the only reason why they have even been circumspect at all in public about re-signing Eric Carlson is because they are still holding out hope that they can sign him to something less than a max deal. Because if they're willing to sign a max deal, what are we talking about here? You just say, yeah, we're ready to give Eric Carlson all the money in the world as soon as we're allowed to sign him. That's the only reason why I can see them trying to play chicken with him. But sign him to the max deal. Like, what? <laughs> you know, there's no this should be an extremely simple negotiation. Like Pierre Dorian in his press conference, you know, talking about it's our intention to sign Eric Carlson. But, you know, even Wayne Gretzky was traded. Like, why are you doing this, man? Just just lie to me. Just say we're signing Eric Carlson. We're getting it done. I will stake my reputation on it. And like, look, here's the thing. You, you are staking your reputation on it, by the way, whether you admit it or not. Not resigning Eric Carlson is a fireable offense. However, not signing Eric Carlson and then going, don't worry about it, we have Cody Cece, is the sort of offense that should get you exiled to Mars. <laughs> How do you not look at the defense core and say, okay, our replacement for Carlson is Thomas Shabbat? Like, what is that? How can you seriously say that you need Cody Cece as the backup plan to Eric Carlson? The only people who would say that are people who have never watched Cody Cece play. Like, have you looked at your roster? Thomas Shabbat is right there. He's a first-round pick. He's the most promising defensive prospect that the Senators have had since Carlson. Look at it this way. And again, this is sort of improbable, but it is possible. Suppose that you go into next season where your top three, or at least three of your defensemen, are Eric Carlson, Thomas Shabbat, and Rasmus Dolan. Let's say that that happened. If you have those three in your defense core going forward, how can you not say, yeah, those three guys plus any three dudes off the street, like, you know, your Chris Weidmans, your Mark Borvietskis, whatever, like, that's a decent outcome. Yeah. Making a championship level defense core is definitely one of the harder parts of being an NHL GM. There's no doubt about it. The teams that have like the most solid top four are teams that have acquired this by mostly by drafting and developing. There's only like 15 good defensemen in the entire NHL, and they're basically impossible to trade for. Yeah. And there's very, very, very few teams that have three blue chip defensemen. So, mm -hmm. you know, if they were in a position where they have Carlson and Shabbat and they're able to draft a guy like Dolan, even if the other three spots are filled by guys off waivers, like that's still a pretty good outlook going forward. And it's something that if I were Eric Carlson, I would uh, I would take some comfort in. Did you see that uh, they had a uh, rolled out the red carpet, uh, not literally for Chris Neal this week? I did see that, and I might have gone to that game if I had found out about Chris Neal Knight more than nine hours before it happened. <laughs> yeah, what was that, that was, about? I, I mean, look, we have teased Chris Neal a lot on this podcast, but he is one of only three players in franchise history that has played more than a thousand games in a Senator's uniform. And it was a little bit odd to see that ceremony, given what was done for Alfredson and even for Chris Phillips, basically just be him showing up and they played a little video and that was kind of it. Like that's sort of what you do when a guy is traded, you know? Yeah. So it was a little bit weird to see that. And I think the only thing that happened was somebody said, hey, you know, tickets for the Bruins game are a little slow. What can we do? Uh, well, Neil's in town. Let's just have him in. <laughs> we'll we'll call it Chris Neal night. Like, I think it sounds like it was not much more than that. It doesn't really say much for what's going on in the Sens organization right now. I don't know. That's, things are super upsetting because, you know, this this late period Eugene Melnick Senators is 
you can tell where the corners are being cut now. <laughs> when the GM of the team is openly talking about how he's got to spend a bunch of time in Europe to scout, like that's not a good sign. No, that's not um, a good sign. When we can only afford to uh, put together a video of Chris Neal and we can't even uh, license the rights to a decent country song <laughs> to play in the background, that's not a good sign. And and just to add insult to injury to the whole evening, uh, I was informed afterwards that uh, the Senators got a call from the league and Chris Neal has been retroactively suspended, uh, ending, oh, well, ending his perfect game streak. That's unfortunate. Yeah, they didn't like that sort of plaid jacket he was wearing. I did enjoy uh, basically making up a country song about Chris Neal um, <laughs> after, after I saw the video, because you know, whatever you thought a Chris Neal tribute video was going to be, that's exactly what the editors put out. He's a man with a truck and he likes his beer. He never backed down and he showed no fear. Chris Neal. <laughs> Fletcherton, Ontario's joy and pride. Don't look now, but he went offside. Chris Neal. <laughs> uh, I still don't believe that Flesherton, Ontario is a real place. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm the mayor of Flesherton. Uh, it's like, get away from me. That's gross. <laughs> Disturbing news today, as Guy Fieri has officially moved his residence from Flavortown to Flesherton. <laughs> uh, I like you calling Guy Fieri Guy Fieri, because if he is... <laughs> I, I, I did that completely unintentionally. You know, because it is, it does sort of lend kind of an air of, of hockey authenticity to his, to his name, right? This has also been my new thing, because I have nothing left to live for this season, is just figuring out the most pretentious way to pronounce every prospect's name. <laughs> it's like, ah, like, oh, really, really looking forward to when the Sens call up Christian Yarosh. Yarosh. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really hoping that you make a meal out of uh, Magnus uh, Pajazzi. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's like, oh, it's Magnus Pujarvi Svensson. <laughs> I looked it up and Magnus Pujarvi Svensson. And again, I'm going to use his full name because I have time for that. He's a former 10th overall pick. You know who, who number has... nine was in that same draft? Please tell me it was Jared Cowan. It was Jared Cowan. <laughs> <laughs> the Senators passed on Pujarvi to take Jared Cowan. Well, you know what? Now they got him anyway, so yep. it doesn't matter. It all works out in the end. I can't believe that we're already into our Scott Gomez equivalents um, in this season because at least Scott Gomez, he was like a March pickup. It's not even it's not even February yet, and we're already you know getting these guys who are more washed than DiCaprio's hands in the Aviator. Like, <laughs> hey, but Magnus Pajarvi is unlike Jared Cowan, still in the league. True, right? And so you know he must why? be better because the Sens put him there. <laughs> As we've mentioned, you know, the senator's organization is cutting corners like it's crunch time at the Circle Factory. hi -oh. That really is putting a pall over the season that has not been present in other kind of lost seasons. Well, it's certainly because... coming a little more to the forefront than kind of just being like, do you remember when it was sort of still whispered and very controversial to call the senators a budget team? Yes. Not anymore. No. So that's a problem. It's kind of like, how long can the owner fade these operational losses? Because the team is bad. That is true. That is true. Although one of the things that, you know, can only help the value of the franchise if and when Eugene Melnick decides he wants to or has to or is forced to sell this team is that they do have an agreement in principle to develop LeBreton Flats uh, in time for the graduation of Eric Carlson's children from high school. So that's not nothing. That is true. I'm, I'm glad we finally got into this, into this because people 
are constantly talking to me on Twitter and being like, look, Luke, the hockey talk's great, but what we really want is municipal politics yeah. development <laughs> talk. And so the time is now for that. Yeah, exactly. It will be, I mean, that's going to be the next 18 months uh, in terms of, you know, real estate asset valuation and debates over public money to build arenas. And I can't wait. I who can't wait to give who, public money to this Caribbean Dracula uh, <laughs> to build an arena in uh, in Ottawa. Who do you think is going to give him money? Is is he just going to borrow more money and then like say I'm going to build this stuff and then after I can't pay you the money you're going to take the stuff from me? Is it going to be? Are we going to be on the the Rod Bryden plan? <laughs> I don't think that they're going to get much in the way of public money. And so what that will mean is that the NHL in the next mayoral election will be putting a lot of money behind Ottawa mayoral candidate Chris Pronger. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I did like the suggestion in the papers this week that Eugene Melnick, uh, Caribbean Dracula, uh, who can only negotiate with the NCC if they invite him in, was actually playing 12D chess before the outdoor game when he was doing everything he could to suggest that the team was in trouble and he didn't have to move downtown and if he wasn't getting his way he would move it like some kind of gambit on his part like some kind of negotiation strategy like if he just comes out and basically is trying to negotiate with a federal commission that has very stubbornly left a large downtown parcel of contaminated land empty for decades to say, you know what, if you don't let me move my financially unviable team in at a sweetheart deal, then you're, it's going to stay empty. And the NCC being like, uh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And so if I don't get my way, nothing bad will happen to you because yeah. you have a second buyer willing and ready <laughs> to yeah. take over that piece of e- land. Exactly. It's like, and given how long Le Breton has just sort of sat fallow, it's like, what's another... 10 or 15 years. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall during those negotiations, because even if any of that were true and he was sort of like, well, we want to put a rink there and the team's kind of in trouble, but we think that that will help them out. And if nothing else, the senators have a huge amount of cultural value to Ottawa. I can picture like, you know, members of the board grilling him on really, even though you have Mark Borvietsky, you have a large cultural value to the city of Ottawa, that guy. And he can say, well, I mean, at least we're employing local people. So uh, I would I would would have loved to have seen how that went. If the senators are in dire financial straits, who is picking up the tab for uh, Eugene Melnick's Toronto-based PR firm work? <laughs> we got to get into this now because we got to get to the video scene around the world. Eugene Melnick, when he's on the prompter, sort of speaks with the same cadence as someone who should be like holding up today's newspaper as proof of life. <laughs> yeah, like the whole thing gave rise to my belief that you know, somewhere there's an outtake of Eugene Melnick saying, and most of all, we'd like to thank our wonderful fans. And then his ISIS captor goes, no, no, hang on. It's not recording yet. <laughs> yeah, I feel like when Eugene Melnick it is not done well by scripted material, it really captures none of the uh, energy that he showed as an improv performer. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you sort of put him in kind of a, a scripted piece like that. So, uh, yeah, you've got to really let that guy explore the space with his brand of jazz. You can't let him just read a prepared statement that thanks the fans uh, for what I'm still not sure contains no apology whatsoever and basically sounds like he's being forced to read it at the point of Gary Bettman's bayonet. 
And the thing is, is that as much as we can make fun of it, it's definitely a vastly superior media strategy to what he was doing before. <laughs> I do have to I do have to take some issue, though, with him choosing a Toronto based PR firm, uh, allegedly, when <laughs> there are no shortage of good PR local PR firms that he could be giving money to who can give him very nuanced PR advice, like don't throw your fans under the bus before the outdoor game. Like, <laughs> it's like you don't have to go to Toronto for that. You don't have to spend the big Toronto bucks for that. Just like if you want to make an ass of yourself on the radio, you don't have to go to toronto you can do it here just don't say anything bad and then just lie like that's <laughs> that's, that's all there is to it that's Again, really this goes for pierre dorian as well it's like even if you don't know about signing eric carlson lie to the fans be like we're getting it done for sure just say that no it's it's a very no simple matter strategy. how much money you're losing just say yeah i'm never moving the team i love ottawa in fact, consider us, an Ottawa-based PR firm, Pierre Dorian and Eugene Melnick, and just listen to us. Just lie and tell us everything is going fine. That's yeah. all you need to do. The truth is a harsh and disturbing thing. How could that ever be considered beautiful? <laughs> And Eugene Melnick kind of had the middle distant gaze of somebody who like who was wearing like a shock collar in case he got near a live mic. <laughs> like he's not allowed to talk to the media anymore and he can only he can only put out these prepared statements that basically say nothing. How many prepared statements is Eugene Melnick going to have to put out before the frosty relationship between him and the fans starts to melt? Like at least 12, right? What is the prepared statement going to be like when he sells the team to Demaray and Daniel Alfredson? Well, now as part of the uh, Le Breton uh, redevelopment deal. Oh, there's not going to be a statement. He's just going to get a hel on a helicopter like Richard Nixon and fly to the Bahamas. <laughs> and that'll be the last we see of him. There was no prepared statement. It was just him basically absconding in a helicopter with a doctor's bag full of loose bills. I do kind of feel bad for Pierre Dorian because if and when Eugene Melnick sells, like how long is he going to last as GM? Like three tenths of a second <laughs> before he's replaced by Daniel Alfredson? That, that, yeah. may, be, that may be true. So I put out some calls on the Twitter for some mailbag questions. I did get a couple, including this great question that I've just received from uh, Phil Linden 17. What Steely Dan song best represents the Magnus Poliarvi Svensson pickup? <laughs> I would say that the Steely Dan song that would best represent Magnus Poliarvi would be if you pictured him still with St. Louis, taking the puck into the offensive zone and faking out one of the defensemen in order to get a shot on net. And at that point, he would have been uh, one of the uh, Deacon Blues. Magnus Paryavi Svensson, first of all, really, he's someone else's work. Second of all, he's terrible. And so, therefore, it's clear that he is uh, the song St. Louis Toodaloo <laughs> off of the album. Uh, what album is that, actually? That's Pretzel Logic. He is St. Louis Toodaloo off of Pretzel Logic. Okay, there you go. Bita from uh, Silver7 asks, how will the Red Scarf Union save the Sens from relocation? You know, the, the RSU went to the team and said, you know, we want to do this, this, and this, and we're going to have a guy with a drum, and we're going to stand the whole game, and it's going to be a passionate European-style supporter section. And the team, to their credit, said, you know, let's give this a shot. You know, we are your humble servants, so go, here is your section. Well, I mean, it was it was worth a shot, and it could have been a, you know, a really cool thing. And I think there were some fans that liked it and other fans that didn't. One thing I will say is that supporter section lasted a lot longer than missing chiclets did 
Have you See, seen th- this? Have you heard about this? <laughs> the missing chicklets are missing. They, Just another way in which budget cuts are affecting the in-game experience. Yeah, I guess they felt, I mean, the organist is still there, uh, but I guess they felt that taking care of business and take it easy, every game was kind of not getting the desired impact. Uh, so, you know, best of luck at future weddings, missing chicklets. So you think that the problem wasn't necessarily the quality of musicianship, but the fact that their set list had the same six songs every game? I think their set list could have been a bit more adventurous. That's correct. I would have I would have loved to have heard them just take the whole second intermission and play Pink Floyd's set controls for the heart of the sun. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm imagining now a uh, the scene from Spinal Tap with the jazz odyssey. It's like, <laughs> welcome to the new missing chicklets as we enter our period of jazz odyssey. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you, Vieta <laughs> uh, also asks a question which I think is interesting. Um, if I don't live in Ottawa, what percentage of the blame do I personally bear for the attendance numbers, and how can I become a better fan? <laughs> this is a question that speaks to me personally because I have never lived in Ottawa and yet against all odds have remained a senator's fan and so even though i only get up to uh four games a year like i feel like that's still me doing my part you know who doesn't live in ottawa and gets to fewer games a year than you uh eugene melnick <laughs> <laughs> and so in answer to Vita's question i would say if you live outside of the ottawa area and you make it to games great good for you you should feel under no compulsion to do so and by the same token if you live outside the ottawa area whether you are just a fan or someone who owns the team you should have nothing to say about local attendance how about that i like that we can we can we can go with that good friend of the pod and fellow welcome to your carlson years contributor verata at this three time asks if you could have any senator from any period back and put him on the 2018-19 senators who would it be so I thought about this, and there is only one possible answer. It's Daniel um, Alfredson, right? No, it's not Daniel Alfredson, oh, okay. because I don't see, with this year's team, um, whether you were to put this person on at the beginning of the year or whether you were to add them now and see if they could turn the season around, I can think of no impact player from Senator's history that would be able to materially change the fortune of this team, whether it was peak Daniel Alfredson, 50 goal Danny Heatley, Zdeno Chara, or, you know, do it all kind of Marion Hosa. There's only one player that would turn this team around if he was added to this year's roster, and that is 2016-17 Craig Anderson. Yo. <laughs> He's my pick for wow. who I'd like who I'd like to add from what period of time to turn this team around. Man, you just blew my mind. I had <laughs> I, I I had an answer that was something stupid and now like you've you blown me out of the water here. <laughs> I would like last year's Craig Anderson and the rest of this team and, and we'll see what happens. I'll roll the dice on that. You absolutely have it nailed there, my friend. Andrew Campbell, uh, what's the over under on number of Sens players traded away at the deadline? I would say less than 2011. I don't think I think they traded six guys in two weeks at the deadline at 2011. I don't think it's going to be that many this year. I think it'll be three or four. Ooh, three that many. I don't I think that I'm putting the over under it uh, two and a half. I think that there will be few players traded, but they'll all be big money. It'll be like a Mike Hoffman and Zach Smith type thing. Okay, I do think they will try to clear out some of the stuff at the bottom, too. There is still the dark horse possibility that Dion Phaneuf is traded. I don't think it's likely, but it is possible. That would be a, a huge coup by Dorian and might even like save his job for another year. 
Because, I mean, if the he, only of, of him and Ryan, the only guy that has any trade value that I could see the Senators getting out from under the contract is Phaneuf. The only way that the Senators will get out from under the Bobby Ryan contract is if he retires because he decides hockey is finally endangering his lifelong dream of becoming a concert pianist. And even there, he's stealing Cody Cece's thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It would be great if he said, I'm going to become a better pianist than Cody Cece, but hockey is just too hard on the hands. Yeah, I can see Dion Phaneuf being picked up by someone because defensemen are hard to come by, and Dion Phaneuf is still good enough to be you know, valuable to someone. He is overpaid, but in a vacuum, he's not bad enough to be out of the league. So if you're a team like, oh, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, the team that's like kind of up and coming but still having trouble putting together a you know cup level defense core like maybe you've got a lot of like really young talents on uh, entry level contracts and you think maybe this is our window and we gotta you know strike while the iron is hot but you know all we have are these kind of like offensively oriented defensemen and you need you need like a real mm-hmm. solid rock back there and what i'm saying is that uh, Dion Phaneuf is going back to toronto <laughs> <laughs> he would certainly stabilize that team right now that's for sure and he also plays tough and has a french sounding name so mark bergevin make the call that first pairing of uh weber and Fanuf will be less mobile than an oil rig <laughs> uh and probably le- uh more expensive we'll know that the budget cuts are really starting to have too real an effect when they quietly phase out spartacat <laughs> yeah they stop repairing uh patches of fur that fall off and he just looks like he's got alopecia <laughs> oh god darkest darkest timeline darkest timeline maybe we should end there I think that's it. You know, this this podcast isn't really a podcast anymore so much as a group therapy session. And for that, I would like to thank you for joining me on this journey. Thank you. I was uh, I was happy to be here. And now I can go back to bed uh, and <laughs> recuperate further. I guess the next time we uh, the next time we get together, it'll probably be close to the uh, trade deadline. Uh, do you think we'll have uh, traded anyone by that point? I would think it will happen before the deadline. Um, I will think it will happen probably in the two weeks leading up to the deadline. So I would expect probably about two weeks from now is when we're going to see, you know, Zach Smith become a Calgary flame, that kind of thing. Great. Well, you know what? Enjoy these third liners while you can, folks. (laughs) Gather ye third liners while ye may. Thank you very much for uh, listening, if you have indeed listened. And you know what? We know this year sucks, and sometimes it's hard to uh, be positive, but hopefully, at the very least, uh, this podcast continues to deliver, even when the team does not. We're all in this together, and uh, you know we just have to keep moving forward into a future that includes Eric Carlson. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. For a couple of fowlers who both still live with their moms Breaking the town's local hockey team down with some microphones on No other podcast was finer Or was more of a hit with the big rig diners We never thought they'd make it past episode 5 Whoa, somehow these dudes named Shed and Parisi are alive Whoa, whoa, whoa I have sort of tried to start preparing a little bit more for these in the sense that I have just like a blank text file that I just throw stuff in 
uh, and then try to see if it makes any sense a week later when we actually record. And I'm looking mm-hmm. at it now, and most of it is complete gibberish that I wrote when I was you know, like <laughs> usually drinking during games. So it's very hard. It's just stuff, just like Borvietsky Gator Pit. Question yeah, <laughs> it's very hard <laughs> to try to. Yeah, exactly. And you sort of feel like you need to use it. So you're sort of like, well, you know, that's sort of like a Borvietsky Gator Pit. And you're like, wow, that just derailed the conversation we were having. But I have here, and this is true. I wrote this. The phrase thomas shabbat hit single (laughs) Uh, and do you have anywhere to go from with that well i think where i was going with that was wouldn't it be funny if he did that (laughs) and so i put to you then sir if thomas shabbat had a hit single what would you call it what what would what would thomas shabbat's hit single be because he kind of reminds me of like a french canadian member of the backstreet boys or something exactly it would be it would be like a um early 90s pop ballad yes and it would be called girl you should bleat me (laughs) sorry could you could you repeat that just for the record (laughs) girl you should bleat me i would also accept she both of us (laughs) or if we're going for a third shabbat to get you into my life like, do I smell a Grammy? <laughs> like, 